This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Packer and Durham. Free Power Hour is upon us as we continue to stream live on the ESPN app. Of course, you've got uh, the phone number at 844-SAY-ACCN. A ton of guests are coming your way. We will continue the uh, crystal balling of potential national championship teams. And we'll do that for the Coastal Division later on in the program. Uh, Wes, as you mentioned, uh, Frank Signetti Jr., new offensive coordinator at Pitt, will join us coming up here in about a half an hour. But right now, Adam Rittenberg is alive and well Mm. and kicking. There he is right there, rocking and rolling. Adam, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. Great to be with you. Hope you're both doing well. Uh, We are. By the way, I noticed a a new addition to your backdrop there. Just an immediate first response. You got a new Clemson football helmet there. I don't remember seeing that in the past. Where'd that one come from? You know, I... It has been there. I have repositioned a little bit. I do have to give Graham Neff, the current athletic director, credit because he ah. saw me when he wasn't the AD. Dan Rad was still there and said, you got to have something Clemson in your background. So he, he, he sent me that helmet, and, and so I proudly display it there. And, uh, and certainly a shout-out to Graham for, uh, for being proactive. All ADs, send me your stuff. I'll put it in their background in the backdrop. That's it. Spider-Man's watching. Oh, no, so there's a veil threat. That's yeah. all right. Ain't nothing wrong with uh, that. That's right. Hey, uh, Adam. Hey, Wes, let's pretend like we haven't begged for stuff on this show before, please. You kidding me? (laughs) That's how we got where we are by begging. It's the key to our success is begging. Not just just stuff on the show, jobs. Uh, Okay, Adam, let's go here. Let's go... Let's go with this this piece about futures um, because I'm fascinated a little bit. We get caught up in what 22 is. And you've kind of examined not just 22, but beyond here. Um, And it's ironic you're here the day after Arch Manning commits to Texas, which I'm sure on a national paradigm brings them back into the conversation. But in the ACC, I think Clemson, and we just said this going to break, Clemson is the safest bet like year in and year out because of their stability and their continuity. But behind Clemson, it feels like Miami's gaining the momentum. But I don't want to discount Pitt. I don't want to discount what NC State and Dave Doran done. And I certainly don't want to discount Wake Forest, at least in the potential future market here. There's no doubt, Wes. And again, if this is a one-year power ranking, it's going to appear different than what it does. It's three years out. You know, you can incorporate recruiting, incorporate the transfer portal a little bit more. And, you know, that's why Miami is where they are. They're all the way up to number 11. I I considered putting them even in the top 10 because I I think that's the impact you're going to see, especially in 2023 and 2024 with Mario Cristobal, his recruiting, his coaching staff, you know, having a quarterback in place and Tyler Van Dyke who can be in the system with Josh Gaddis. You know, NC State was a tricky one, right? Because if it was a one-year power ranking, they might be in the top 10. This should be their best team under Dave Doran, but can they sustain that in 23 and 24? They're recruiting, keeping their coaches, all these other factors. Uh, you know, and then I certainly considered teams like like Pitt and, uh, and, and Wake Forest. I, I am a little concerned about Wake after the 2022 season when they lose, uh, you know, Sam Hart 
Chapman and, and some really uh, good offensive players. They still need to elevate mm-hmm. a little bit on the uh, on the defensive side. And then the Pitt's sort of in the what's next uh, phase. What happens next after that ACC championship run? You know, losing Kenny Pickett, losing Jordan Addison. You mentioned Texas. I didn't feel great now not putting Texas in the top 25 because uh, they're obviously going to be in a pretty good position offensively. Still have some concerns there on defense. But yeah, Miami was the tricky one because um, I, I think they, there could be some growing pains this year. I don't know if you're going to see Mario Cristobal's impact right away on their offensive line, which has been a unit that's had some ups and downs. You know, Defensively, I don't think they're going to be necessarily an elite group, but Kevin Steele, Charlie Strong, uh, you know, some of their recruiting on that mm-hmm. side of the ball, it shouldn't take too much time for Miami's defense to be in a really good position. Adam, what do you think the biggest one component is in, in trying to crystal ball this? Is it coaching? Is it quarterback play? Is it uh, the staff? I mean, you tell me. Well, it certainly helps, uh, Pack, when you have a multi-year quarterback in in place. Uh, you know, for example, USC is able to rise so much. You're know, certainly having Lincoln Riley, but knowing that Caleb Williams will be their quarterback not just for 2022 but 2023. You know, Clemson's in a really interesting position, right? You know, it could be DJ's team. Uh, you know, for the next couple of years, it, it could be Kate Klubnik's team very, very soon, or at least in 2023. So that's the that's the tricky part at, at that spot. But the, definitely the coach situation how stable is the head coach what are the coordinator situations um, you know wh- how have they recruited I, you know Clemson's an interesting case right they were number one for me guys in the defensive power rankings I think they've collected a, cr- a tremendous level of talent especially up front and while they'll miss Brent Venables I expect that unit to continue on an elite trajectory there are questions on offense though and that's why I have them yeah. uh, at five that wouldn't <laughs> surprise me at all if they make the college football playoff multiple times in the next three Three years, but there's some real questions on the offensive side of the ball. Even though they they also have some continuity there with their new coordinator, so you know it, 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 it's just tricky, right? Ohio State was number one for offense, but they were uh, down on the defensive side because they haven't been very good. And we'll see if Jim Knowles, their new coordinator, can elevate them. And if he does, they're going to win national championships in this window. If not, it's going to be Alabama, it's going to be Georgia. Uh, you know, m- maybe it'll be Clemson, maybe it'll be uh, your more familiar teams. So that that's the tricky part. Is is just uh, is kind of putting it all together, but certainly quarterback situation, coaching situation, those are two big factors. Hey, Adam, and, and I know when you get to the premium brands at the top, the ones we talk about every year, the Clemsons, Alabama, Ohio State, you know, Oklahoma, Georgia now, certainly after the championship's got to be in that discussion. Uh, when you get down to that second tier behind those constants, is there a common denominator you see in their movement? Uh, is it recruiting? Is it coaching continuity? Is it is it offense? I mean, what what is the common ground in that second group that we hope that NC State can get to? Wake potentially Pittsburgh, Miami. Right. Well, I think there, there is a, a recruiting component to this. I, I make that very clear off the top. Of, if you're not uh, you know, signing ESPN 300 guys, four and five star prospects, it's going to be hard for you to consistently rank in or project out in the top 15. Now, there's been some teams that have done that. You know, Wisconsin's a good example. They're not in the top 15 mm-hmm. this year, but they had been because the, defensively, you know, they have been a top three unit for seven or eight years. So I don't really care who you're signing. You're, you're, and you, they've done it with 
with multiple coordinators. They did it with Dave Aranda. They did it with Justin Wilcox. They're now doing it with Jimmy Leonard, maybe at a higher level. So, you know, their recruiting to me doesn't matter as much because they're going to find a way on defense. Their offense is another story, at least at the quarterback position. But I think what's so interesting about a guy like Dave Doran, who I've known since he was at Wisconsin as a defensive coordinator, Dave can recruit. Dave can identify talent. He has got a great eye for that. They have put, uh, put a lot of guys in the NFL at NC State over the course of his tenure. The question there is, can they put it all together? There is pressure on NC State this year to compete for the ACC championship. It would be the first one in my lifetime. It's crazy to think about that, you know, given the talent that they've had there over the years. It's not a program that has a bad quarterback tradition. They have a great quarterback tradition. It's not a program that hasn't had NFL-level linemen. They've had plenty of NFL linemen. For whatever reason, NC State has not put it all together. They've been an underachieving program. And so can that start to change in 2022? Mm. And then presumably when Devin Leary departs, can that continue in 23 and 24? I mean, you guys obviously know that place better than I do, but it it is a great football environment. Their fans are into college Mm -hmm. football. That can be a a really good place for for elite football uh, going forward, but they have to get over the hump and we'll see if they can do it this year. You know, when you do this uh, operation, Adam, I'm going to bring up an ACC team, and I'm just off the top of your head, because you mentioned Miami being difficult to kind of judge, engage, and all that stuff. Again, it's all speculative, and it's your rules, which is the cool thing. But what about a team like Pittsburgh? I mean, Pat Narduzzi, and again, you knew him when he was at Michigan Mm. State, and here he is, the ACC champ. Uh, He loses Kenny Pickett, but yet we've gone with Slovis and all that stuff. You go through all these preseason polls, man, and Pitt's still got a bunch of dudes. First team, all ACC guys back on the defensive side. Entire offensive line is back. How, How do you put the fingerprint on Pittsburgh moving forward? Yeah, I think there's certain fan bases, uh, Pac, that probably could be upset with me uh, seeing these rankings. That's part of the deal. Pitt's one of them. I I get it. They won the ACC last year. Uh, They have some really good players coming back. I'm I'm curious to see if their defense can kind of lead the way a little bit more uh, in 2022 because, you know, you don't have that Heisman Trophy uh, caliber quarterback, in my view. Even the Keaton Slovis has had some production in his career. You obviously lose Jordan Addison. So, um, but I think they've built something there that they're always going to be, you know, in that conversation. Now the question is, is they a 7-8-9 win team or are they a team that now mm. that they've won the ACC can consistently compete for that championship? Can they be a 10-11 win team at least a couple of times in the next uh, three seasons? I, I just have a little bit too much uncertainty. Uh, I know you guys are talking to Frank Signetti. I think he's a significant figure in what happens to Pitt in the next three seasons because Mark Whipple did an outstanding job obviously at the end. Now he's off to Nebraska, you lose your quarterback, you lose your coordinator, you lose some other good players at a place like that that's not necessarily popping and recruiting, but has developed players, has put guys in the NFL. It's a really interesting uh, case to to sort of look at, but I guess I'm a little bit more in the wait-and-see mode with Pitt. want to see how they follow up this year, and if they do well, they'll probably be in these rankings a year from now. It feels like, though, Adam, if, and you mentioned we started this kind of conversation about Wisconsin. It feels like, and you mentioned NC State and Dave's pedigree, obviously working at Wisconsin, Pat's pedigree coming from Michigan State. Dave Clawson is another one with Wake Forest where all of a sudden you turn around every year and they've won nine, right? I mean, they figure out a way to win nine and nobody ever thinks about it like that. It feels like some of the patients – that, that these schools have had in building their programs, the emergence of facilities at those institutions. You've, you've cored the recruiting, which is important. 
it feels like the ACC is getting ready to add more than, oh, by the way, here's Clemson into this conversation. And if it holds, like you said, in these next couple of years, the league's got a chance to have three or four consistent teams in this conversation of the top 15 each year. It's certainly possible, and I think what Wake Forest has done, not only on the field, but the commitment they've made in facilities as a smaller school, a school that hasn't had a great tradition in football, at least long term, is really, it bodes very well for them to to continue to be uh, talked about and and get into these rankings. They were in my rankings for offense. They were in my rankings for quarterback. I I have my my, my reservations on the defensive side, but maybe they prove me wrong and, and, and show that. But I think the overall commitment there is encouraging and if you look around the ACC I think there's some good continuity and leadership from the coaching standpoint guys like uh, Dave, Dave Dave Clawson Pat Narduzzi uh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and and, and uh, uh, yeah obviously there you got to go down the list and then you look at the athletic directors and uh, Dave Doran I was gonna say you look at the athletic directors had their like has been to at Pitt for a while John Curry is a Wake Forest guy you know, could certainly be there as their long-term answer and then you have some donor support and I wrote about this last week guys that you know, who are the programs that are trying to elevate a tier? Who's going to be Clemson? Because Clemson's the one program, mm-hmm. you guys would agree, in the last 10 years that was something and became something else. They were a top 20 program, didn't get a lot of national attention, and then they became an it program. And the way you do that is to believe in your leadership, your coaching, having a good athletic director, and then having the buy-in and the alignment from everybody around the university. And I think on a smaller scale, while you know no one's expecting Wake Forest and Pitt to be in the national championship talk every year, they are creating that uh, in NC State uh, on a smaller scale, and that can put you in position to be in the top 20 every year, which would be a great accomplishment for those programs looking, you know, stepping back and looking out long term. Pitt's really the only one that's had consistent national success in its history, but to be in the top 15, top 20, to be Wisconsin, to be Iowa, that's a really good place to be. And and I think all three programs are not far away from that point. Adam, it is a a cyclical thing, though. I mean, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, if you would have said, um, man, USC and Texas, man, they're going to be great forever. You know what? They've they've basically been irrelevant uh, for the last 10 plus years. So I'm going to ask you five years from now, again, this is, you, you can change your mind a hundred times between now and then, <laughs> but when we get ready for the 2027 season, who do you think will be one of the quote unquote it or brand programs that we're not even talking about anymore? Because we keep talking about teams that are, or schools that are doing this. Give me one that's getting ready to be the next Texas or USC where they get the, you know, they think they're big time and then they disappear off the total map. So who do you think that team is or teams? That, that, could, that, could, that could vanish or that could reappear? Because it's, it's interesting, Pac, when you were talking, uh, I, was, I was just thinking how we haven't even mentioned Florida State. And Florida State, I think, has such an important season mm-hmm. coming up because if they can reestablish themselves, they're a program that has shown they can win national championships, that they've has shown they can recruit at an elite level, but they need to reappear on this radar. You know, it, it's, it's tough to, to, to say. I mean, you know, Alabama after Nick Saban is such a uh, mystery. Are they going to be top four every year? Are they going to fade? Are they going to 
going to fade significantly. Um, you know, but but yeah, it's hard. It, 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 what you said about USC and Texas, especially the fact that they met in the national title game in 2005, it looked like both programs were just on such a, a powerful trajectory and couldn't fall off, especially the way that they have uh, here here lately. I mean, there, there honestly are some concerns about Clemson, especially if Dabo moves on. Like, can they sustain this level? Or are they going to be 1990s Clemson, early 2000s Clemson that isn't in the in the top 10, the top five uh, every year? You know, you, you, you look around. I mean, honestly, there really aren't very many programs that history has shown are, are kind of, you, know, you can't you can't knock them off that, that trajectory. Ohio State is one. Ohio State, I've always said, if you look at their history, they're one of the most consistently elite teams in American sports. They just don't win enough, enough national championships. But they, they're the one that's like, okay, they're going to be fine. But really, everybody else, I mean, LSU has shown that it can fall off. Uh, Alabama has shown that it can fall off. Florida is, is definitely not a team that, that you have to uh, automatically put in the top 10. Texas, obviously. Texas A&M uh, you know, is getting there, but they've had some, some really average to below average periods. Washington is a program that has fallen off here That's lately. So there really, there's very few that you can look at and say, other than Ohio State, I can't see anybody screwing up Ohio State, but maybe someone can if, uh, if Ryan Day moves <laughs> on and they pick the wrong replacement. You know, I think of schools like, you know uh, I think of schools like Tennessee, uh, who, again, there, there was mm. a moment where you went, man, Big Orange is awesome. They got 100000 every week. How yeah. in the world can they not be good? They've been terrible forever. It seems like last year you finally saw somewhat <laughs> of a pulse. But Big Orange has been garbage. I mean, they really have. And then you got Nebraska. I mean, there was a time in the 90s when you're watching Tom Osborne going, wow. Man, they just, all those big old boys out in Nebraska, they're just going to line up and pound you into the turf and beat you by 60. And Nebraska, they got the greatest fan base on known to man, and they can't beat anybody. So it is weird how it kind of goes to that ebb and flow. It is, Pac, and what's so interesting about those two examples, look at what happens has happened with the leadership at Tennessee, and look at what's happened with the mm-hmm. leadership at Nebraska. My, my buddy and your buddy, Chris yep. Lowe, talks yep. about this all the time. The, the consistency of leadership that Tennessee had for a long time with their AD, with their president, and obviously on the field with, with Phil Fulmer, that completely went away when they fired Phil Fulmer. And then you look at Nebraska, and I wrote about this last year, their first decade in the Big Ten has been defined by leadership instability. New, head coaches, a churn, of head coaches, athletic directors, a churn of, of athletic directors, and they've never settled into this conference. And then you look at them as a program, they're in the middle of nowhere. What, you, how, they have some inherent challenges to getting players. And you could even say that a little bit to a lesser extent about Tennessee. And so when you don't have the leadership, and that's why it's so important when we're talking about Dave Clawson and, and Dave Doran and Pat Narduzzi and Dabo Sweeney, like the, you know, it, it's not a lip service when these coaches and these athletic directors talk about that continuity that works and at nebraska and tennessee they haven't had it and it's exposed some of their other deficiencies as programs and you know the, the, you, you, there, there are certain places where you can have some churn alabama's had a lot of churn on its staff uh, and they've still been great because it's nick saban they've had they've had great stability at the top other places cannot afford to do that and that's why you've seen them have such up and down uh, results here and, and honestly more down than up over the last 10 and 15 years Yep, good stuff, man. Tell you what, this is yeah, this is terrific conversation. Adam, your work is always just top shelf stuff. We appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you next month, hopefully in Charlotte and uh, and around the wheel as we get going. Okay. You guys are the best. Thanks for having me on. 
All right, Adam Rittenberg, you can read his work at ESPN.com. I encourage you to dive into this futures piece because uh, it is revealing. Um, he looks at a lot of different aspects in projecting out beyond 22. And as he mentioned earlier, NC State is in this mix uh, at 20. Miami is at 11. And Clemson is at number five in this work that Adam has done. It's available for you at ESPN.com. When we come back, what is available to you is projections of coastal teams and what sports do they have the best shot to win national championships. We will dive into that ahead of uh, Frank Signetti Jr. from Pittsburgh, the offensive coordinator for Pat Narduzzi, joining us at the bottom of the hour. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham on a Friday. Many thanks to Adam Rittenberger just joined us. Frank Signetti Jr. comes up here in about five minutes. Talk a little pit football. And Wes, normally we have our traditional joke that uh, crazy stuff happens at 10.05 after every show. There's yeah. always a breaking news story at 10.05, especially on Fridays. Especially on Fridays. Yep. It's like, man, why well, couldn't that have happened during the show? Well, a little change of pace on uh, show number 654. We do have some breaking news that just literally happened during the commercial. Yep, the uh, the old Packer in Durham, when news breaks out, we break in. Link Jarrett has been named the 10th baseball head coach in Florida State history. Uh, his team that was eliminated from the College World Series after three seasons at Notre Dame. Uh, about 72 hours later, he is the new head baseball coach at Florida State. Uh, Pete Thamel on ESPN.com uh, citing sources that Jarrett, the deal is finalized and he will be named Monday in a press conference. But Link Jarrett, uh, as, as many expected, a Tallahassee native, a guy who played for Mike Martin Sr. at Florida State, uh, is a Seminole in so many different ways is coming back to his alma mater now as the head baseball coach. And uh, Michael Alford has, uh, in his brief tenure as their athletics director, Pack, has been swift and, uh, and means it, right? Because getting Link Jarrett to be the baseball coach required a, required a tough decision on Mike Martin Jr. And, uh, and they made it, and Link Jarrett is now the new head head baseball coach at Florida State. And seems to make a ton of sense, right? I mean, he's uh, we've, yep, we've bragged absolutely. about the job Link did at Notre Dame, obviously taking Omaha and I've said. Uh, and when you got the news about Mike Martin Jr., I, I mean, if you're – unless you're crazy, uh, you just almost automatically thought, well, how's Florida State, man? It seems to be one phone call mm-hmm. you'd make. Now, I don't know what the interest level would be. But if you didn't pick up the phone and right. call Link Jarrett or there's representatives and said, hey, listen, would you be interested in coming back home and uh, let's take Florida State back to the College World Series, you'd be crazy. So, uh, again, smart move, mm-hmm. smart business move. Uh, and for Link Jarrett, uh, I think if you're a Notre Dame baseball fan, you hate to lose him. But you say, hey, man, job well done. It was awesome. Uh, but for Link, uh, how do you say no? Right? How do you say no to the opportunity to go back yeah. to a place that's got such great tradition and great history, and you've been a part of that, and can lead Florida State back to the promised land to Omaha? So on the surface, I think this is a no-brainer, and it seems to be a win-win proposition for not only Link, but also Florida State. Now, obviously, Notre Dame's got to get to work and find out who uh, is the next man up for them. But a uh, great move for yep. Florida State. Yep, and uh, Gabby Sanchez, who was with us, what, yesterday? We talked about this. 
and kind of the uh, the element of what uh, this could potentially be. He said it was a no-brainer and a no-doubter, and that proves to be true as Link Jarrett is now the new head baseball coach at, uh, at Florida State. Um, needless to say, that then reconvenes the discussion about Tommy White and the transfer portal, doesn't it? Uh, because there was a lot of speculation that when he hit the transfer portal, Joe Giglio, who joined us uh, last week talking NC State, or this week talking NC State football, um, is one of those guys that, that cited Florida State when White initially hit the transfer portal. Then it ramped up behind that. And uh, Tommy White has yet to declare where he's going. Does he end up at Florida State? That'll be a nice piece for the first-year first head coach. If so, as a guy who set a freshman home run record in college baseball this year. Well, I've got no idea where Tommy White's going to go play. I hope he stays within the ACC because it's so much fun watching him at NC mm-hmm. State this past year. But Link Jarrett's going to get players now. He, The guy can recruit. Yeah, he, he knows what he can do. I mean, he's a great coach. I mean, again, goes to Notre Dame. We've given you the numbers. The last three years, the winningest baseball program in this conference is in South Bend, Indiana. Now, what that marinated say? This is a really yeah. good baseball league. Shows you the job that Link was able to do. And you do that with getting really good players. And he will do that at Florida State. And like I said, to me, this is a no-brainer, a win-win proposition for all parties involved, with the exception of Notre Dame, who now has to go figure it out. Pac, here's the other thing, too. Inside of about a week now, we have Eric Backage taking over the proud baseball tradition at Clemson and Link Jarrett returning to his alma mater. Uh, those are two really, really strong hires uh, to join a, a cadre of coaches already established in the ACC, including the winningest active coach in college baseball, Danny Hall. Well, I, I wouldn't even tell you that if uh, if Backage didn't end up at Clemson and he was still at Michigan and the Notre Dame job opened, there, there may be an interest for him to go to Notre Dame. But he feels great by being in Clemson, and I guarantee you Florida State loves having Link Jarrett back. So these are two programs in this particular league that traditionally have been yep. really, really good, and I think they have two big-time coaches taking care. So, again, I think both athletic directors did a nice job. Sank, uh, Frank Signetti Jr. has returned to Pittsburgh as the offensive coordinator. He was there about oh, 13 or so years ago to work with Dave Wonstadt. Actually began his coaching career there as a GA. And when we come back, we dial up Coach Signetti, who now is with Pat Narduzzi and has a talented group around him on offense in a lot of areas. We're going to talk with the offensive coordinator of the Panthers with expectations next. Packer and Durham. Link Jarrett goes to Florida State. Breaking news for you today. Thanks again to Adam Rittenberg. And uh, our next guest, Wes, uh, we've had on before, but uh, at the time he was working for Boston College. And who says you can't go home? Link Jarrett just said, yeah, I'm going to go back home. Kenny Payne said, yeah, I'm going to go back home to Louisville. Uh, Hubert Davis said, yeah, I can go back home to Chapel Hill. John Shire's back home at Duke. And you know what? Old Frank Signetti Jr. said Pittsburgh's home, so why not? So Pat Narduzzi's got his man. There he is. Let me let me just tell you this now. We get Signetti's into western Pennsylvania. It's on. I'm just going to tell you, Packer. <laughs> it is on when the Signetti's get to western PA. Frank, how are you? It's great to see you. Uh, well, it's great to see you guys. To program. Man, yeah. it's great to be here. All right, so everybody wants to talk about post-Kenny Pickett. So I guess it's perfect we've got you here. 
You know Nick Patty. You know Keaton Slovis. Slovis is coming back off a knee injury. And I got to tell you what I saw in the spring. I was pretty impressed with that guy coming in and, and kind of picking up it looked like what at least the, the basic framework of your system. Well, I tell you what, I'm really impressed with both young men. Uh, you know, the quarterback room is special. Both uh, Nick and Keaton have done an outstanding job learning the system, um, competing, learning with each other. You know, we've had a lot of fun doing it. You know, we're excited to go into training camp. All right. You know, I knew Wes would go right to the quarterback because that's what the play-by-play guys do. Forget that nonsense. <laughs> Let's talk about that entire offensive line coming back, Frank. Because, wow. you know what, let me tell you something. I don't care who's a quarterback. If you can't block up front, the dude's running for his life or he's flat on his back. So the fact that you've got that whole core back coming off an ACC championship season, uh, explain to the folks at home how much easier life gets when you've got those big boys up front that know what they're doing. Well, it all starts up front. And, uh, you know, Coach Narduzzi has built a tremendous football program here. We have great culture. Uh, Coach Borbley has done a great job with the mindset and the skill development up front. You know, ha- having the veteran experience and those guys working together is invaluable. Um, you know, we want to establish the mindset up front again. And we had a great spring. We're having a great summer. And once again, we're looking forward again to training camp. All right, so when you bring in your system and you kind of know what was there and what they were doing, uh, how, how much difference is there? What are the variations? What similarities are there uh, in terms of getting ready to go to work in 22? Well, I think there's a lot of similarities. You know, first off, uh, Coach Narduzzi and Coach Whipple, they had an excellent system in place here, you know, with the pro background. Um, we want to try to be balanced here. What's that mean? We want to be able to have a good run game. We want to have multiple protections. We want to have an explosive passing game. Um, You know, the nomenclature, the way you call plays might change a little bit. But once again, the foundation's the same. Uh, Losing Jordan Addison, uh, you wouldn't wish that on on anybody. Uh, But you know what? We had Paul Zeiss on here last week. Actually, it was earlier this week. And he said, you know what's the one area that, you know what, this team's still going to be fine. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the wide receiver room right now at Pitt? Well, we got a great receiver room. Once again, it goes back to uh, the staff doing a great job recruiting these student athletes to the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, the wide receiver coach, Taekwon Underwood, is a pro. He's a great teacher. He's a great person. He's played in the National Football League. You know, once again, it's about skill development. So, uh, you know, we're going to train our wide receivers like the NFL wide receivers. We're going to put them in a position to be successful. It is a solid group. We have seen tremendous growth this spring and summer. Uh, We're really excited about the perimeter group. You know, Frank, here's the other thing, too. The combination game was so good there, right? I mean, everybody got caught up in what Kenny was doing from a statistical standpoint and a playmaking standpoint. But a Banacanda, Rodney Hammond Jr. made some big plays for you. I mean, Vincent Davis has had moments in his career when he's been healthy. It feels like your running backs really fit nicely with what that offensive packaging can be. Yeah, we got a really talented group. You know, Coach Powell has done a great job training these guys in all three phases. You know, they have great vision. They got good short area bursts. They can break the long ones and hit the home runs. They do a good job in pass protection and their flare control. Uh, you know, once again, 
just like the offensive line in the wide receiver room and the quarterback room, we have talented players, we have depth, and we're going to have great competition in training camp. All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Everything sounds perfecto in Pittsburgh on the offensive side. What are you concerned about? Well, you got to stay healthy. You know, one, player safety, we got to stay healthy. Our strength and conditioning staff has done an unbelievable job getting these guys bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, Coach Narduzzi does a great job in training camp having a plan to keep, keep these guys, uh, you know, healthy. You know, football's a game of execution. So when it comes down to it, we want to train our guys that when they cross that white line that they're ready to play. We want to put them in a position to be successful. And ultimately, you know, we want to go out there and we want to score points. Well, the, the other thing, too, is uh, you guys don't uh, get the benefit of easing into this thing, right? I mean, this joker gets real week one and week two. I mean, there's no... Uh, as Packer likes to say, there's no roast beef A&M waiting on you down there in week one at Heinz Field. I mean, you guys go to work right away. Yeah, isn't that great? You know, uh, growing up with the history of the backyard brawl, I couldn't think of a better way to start the season off. Uh, you know, Heinz Field will be electric September 1st. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to having a great training camp to prepare us to give us a chance to beat West Virginia. Frank, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen at a Pitt West Virginia game? Come on now, come on, Frank. Craziest well, I've thing. been on both. Uh, I've been on both sides of it. You know, I've had great experience on both sides of it. It's a very passionate rivalry. Um, I just can't. I just can't wait to be a part of it again. No, I know that, but that wasn't the question. The question yeah. is, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen? <laughs> well, the, cra- the craziest thing is, you know, those West Virginia fans are very passionate about the backyard brawl, as the Pitt fans are. Um, if I went back to 1975 and Bill McKenzie hit the 39-yard field goal to beat Pitt uh, at the last play of the game and we all stormed the field, you know, that, that would be a crazy really good experience yeah that but one, you know what in the yeah. hub, let me say this though in 1989 in 1989 when i was a ga at pitt and my heart's in pittsburgh i love this program and i'm so thankful that coach narduzzi brought brought me back to pitt and our family back to pittsburgh in 1989 and we were talking about this today on the field myself and john dibiasso our quarterback coach in 1989 <laughs> we went down to west virginia and we were losing 31 to nine in the fourth quarter. And Alex Van Pelt brought us back and we tied 31-31. And I can remember being on that elevator with a bunch of my dad's ex-coaches because my dad was the head coach of West Virginia at one time. <laughs> and the pit coaches, we were excited. It's like we had won the game and it was devastating to those West Virginia coaches. So, I mean, that 1989 Pitt football team was not only a great team and we had great players, but that coming back and tying them, that was crazy. Well, the, the fact that you All could right. go back to 75 and your recollection of 89, this is exactly yeah. what we lost with expansion. We lost some of these yeah. great rivalry games in college football, which yeah. to me is what, well, even if you have no skin in the game, 
these are the kind of games you can't wait to watch as a fan where you know yeah. it's personal. This thing matters. It's more than just a game because somebody at the water cooler on Monday is going to be talking trash and the other guy wants to start a fight because there's nothing better than these kind of games. That's why Pitt and Penn State ought to be playing every single year. These are no-brainer games. This is what makes college football special and kind of, to me, kind of separates Saturdays from Sundays. I think it's great for Pitt. I think it's great for West Virginia. And it's awesome for college football that we can have this game, much less starting a college football season with it. I totally agree. Frank, in in a way, it feels like Pittsburgh and your timing of your return with the job that Pat has done in kind of rebuilding this process and the success they had last year. As somebody that's grown up around Pitt football – virtually their entire life in one form or fashion. It feels like this is a time where Pittsburgh can go back to those days of the Hugh Green, the Dan Marino, the Matt Cavanaugh's, the, I mean, you know, even Curtis Martin and those guys. I mean, it just feels like that Pitt is going, and we were joking during the break about you look good in the royal blue. It feels like you're going back to those days when you'd see the games on the on the turf that was hard as concrete at Pitt Stadium. You know, I mean, it just – it, it, it kind of has that vibe to it, to be quite frank. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm really impressed. Once again, we're talking about the ACC champions here. And, and, and it didn't happen by mistake. Coach Narduzzi has built a tremendous football program here. There's an unbelievable culture. I am so impressed with our coaches and our players. There's an edge when we go out there and work – whether it's with strength and conditioning or on the practice field. Our players love walking in the building. They give us everything they have. There's tremendous positive energy. And if you watch us practice, you'll see that, man, we get after it. And it's a lot of fun. We keep the game fun. But once again, you know, when I came back here, I was so impressed walking in the building and just seeing the upgrades that Coach Narduzzi has made here. I mean, uh, you know, we have high expectations, and, and we can't wait to get to work and uh, get the backyard brawl kicked off, man. You know, they say uh, about going back home, you've heard all the phrases and cliches. Uh, is it true? I mean, I mean, you've kind of done this a couple times as far as getting back home. It's got to really feel good to know that, hey, I'm in a place I truly love, and, and it, it gets personal, right? It does get personal for you from a coaching perspective, from a real-life perspective, getting back to Pittsburgh. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it's a dream come true again. Uh, I, you know, Coach Narduzzi and myself, we didn't know each other. So uh, mm, when, coach reached out to, when Coach reached out to me, I was like, let's go, man. I mean, you yeah. know, we, we, had to, we had to get to know each other, make sure it was the right fit. Um, but to come home to Pittsburgh, it's kind of like coming uh, full circle. So, so excited, so blessed. You know, and it's so much more than just coaching at Pitt. You know, it's bringing, it's bringing our family back to Pittsburgh where, where we have family here and my kids can be with cousins and, you know, just, just being back around my mom and dad and being around family. Um, yeah, it's really special. And as you guys know, right. Pittsburgh's the greatest city in America for football. You know, this is the city of champions. And there is such yeah. an unbelievable storied football history here, which Coach Narduzzi <laughs> is taking to another level. And it's Frank, great to be a part of it. Frank, I want to just want to follow up on that, that a second. Uh, because I, I get a sense that it, it, this was an emotional, absolutely, yes, let's do it. Right? I mean, this was more, it's more than just a job for you. 
going back home, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's home. You know, Coach Narduzzi and I were talking this morning at the coffee machine about, man, how nice it is to be home. You know, usually uh, in this profession, you're not living at home and you can't wait for vacation because you just want to go. And I told him, I said, look, I'm home. I'm not even thinking about vacation. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and it feels great. I, I just can't tell you, it's, it's priceless um, to be where you really want to be and, and, and with a great program and with great people because Coach Narduzzi has built such an unbelievable culture here and it takes people and uh, it, it's really just great to be a part of the program. All right, I want to ask two questions here. One, uh, in the summer with your brother, the great coach of James Madison, Kurt, and your dad and your background, the pedigree the Signetti family has in football. <clears throat> Do we still take the salt and pepper shakers during the summer at some point and we start talking ball or have we evolved to the whiteboard? Do we have film sessions? How big of a deep dive do we get in some of this? You know what? Um, we used to play a lot of golf, but now it's more just sitting <laughs> down and, uh, you know, just talking about family and I like talking to my father about the history of his career, um, just trying to mm -hmm. learn more about him as time goes on. And, uh, yeah. you know, when the three of us get together, it's invaluable to have those memories. Well, All right. Here's the last question for me. Here's the last question for me. I'm going to give you, you got to tell me your favorite pit player growing up. Yeah. You know what? Um, Tony Saragusa. Hmm. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. That hit, That's speaking a good of, one. Speaking of hitting home, uh, that, that news, I think, shocked all of us, Frank. I uh, really did. Yeah. I mean, the age you know, of 55, unbelievable. Yeah. You know, yeah. a little emotional. Uh, I was telling one of our coaches this morning, you know, as a GA in 1989, I was a defensive GA, and Goose was my guy. And then I got a chance yeah. coaching National Football League, and we played against him when he was with the Ravens. And then uh, I saw him all the time on the sidelines when he was with Fox. Uh, my last communication with him was three weeks ago. Um, hmm. Man, I just, I just love the goose, as we all did. Yeah, yeah thoughts yeah. and prayers, no doubt. No question about it. Hey, Frank, it's great to see you. We look forward to seeing you. Glad you're in this loop, man. Still in the league and... The blue look good on you today. Hey, it's great to be back, man. I want you guys to have a great summer. <laughs> you too. We look forward to All seeing right, you. We'll see you soon. Frank Signetti Jr., the offensive coordinator of the Pitt Panthers. Terrific guy and an unbelievable football family. Uh, his dad, of course, at IUP, West Virginia, as he mentioned, and Kurt has done an incredible job as the head coach of James Madison along the way in his stops as well. When we come back, Lucky Boy Burrito back. Here we go. We go to the West Coast, a replay of In Case You Missed It. Golden Spikes finalist Kevin Parada joined us yesterday. We'll catch up with uh, number seven of the Jackets next on Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Frank Signetti Jr., always fun to talk to. Pitch should be good again, defending ACC champs. But, yep. Wes, yesterday we talked a little baseball with future San Francisco Giant Kevin Parada. 
<laughs> I don't think he's going to make it back. You pick 31 unless you boys roll up in big old trades. It's, uh, but Kevin was with us yesterday. The Golden Spikes Award will be announced later today. Uh, we start our visit by taking a look back at what he's done at Georgia Tech. Things I've been able to accomplish only in two years as a sophomore, like it's pretty extraordinary, honestly. And so it's one of those things that right now, like I'm just relaxing, preparing for the draft, obviously, but just going back and looking at it all, like I'm, I can't be any happier with what I did at Georgia Tech and um, my two years there. It's, it's really awesome. Kevin, is it hard to watch the College World Series? Um, it makes you a little, um, sad that you're obviously not there because that was a bad goal of ours, but in the end, like you can only control what you can control. And so watching the college world series, you're happy for those guys because they got that opportunity and they're out there winning a national championship, even though you wish it was you, but, um, hmm. yeah. The uh, you're a finalist for the Golden Spikes. It's the equivalent of baseball's Heisman Trophy. Um, do you think about it? Do you have? Ner- are you nervous? Do you? I mean, is it? I mean, you've won a lot of awards already and got a lot of accommodations for your college game. Does is that something that uh, that's on your mind, or is it just kind of? Hey, it's it's an honor to be a finalist, and I'm I'm glad people think that much of the way I play. Yeah, um, it's it really is an honor um, to be even considered as one of the top three players in the country. Like, I, I can't be more thankful for that. And obviously, I want to win it. But in the end, like when you look back at it, like it's just the fact that writers and whoever else votes on the Golden Spikes and even fans, like if they put me in the top three of all of college baseball players, like that's something to be really proud of. I want to get into the process that you've now gone through. Uh, you mentioned, all right, hey, yeah, we're not in Omaha. That was the ultimate goal. You're happy for everybody else. You got the Golden Spikes thing. You can't control it. They offer it to you, and you win it. Awesome. If not, hey, it was an honor to be nominated. Your numbers speak for itself. But now it's time for the next phase. So what's that been like for you in terms of preparation for the next phase of your career? Yeah, so the biggest thing right now is um, obviously preparing for the draft. And uh, a part of that was going down to the combine uh, down in San Diego because I wasn't playing in Omaha. So it was a great way to meet some different clubs and get to know different people. Um, Also get to see plenty of different prospects down there that are going to be drafted with me. And then now it's just a waiting game. Like you got to wait till July seventeenth, and um, and that's that's really what it is. Kevin, take me through. I don't know that people realize there's a combine. I mean, they hear about football mm-hmm. and basketball. They know Indianapolis is the NFL combine. Chicago's the NBA combine. Tell us about San Diego. I mean, you said you met with clubs. Um, did you work out at all? Do guys work out for teams? What's that like? Yeah, so um, you have the opportunity to work out with clubs uh, or in front of all 30 clubs uh, or just do interviews or a mix of different stuff. So I, I just went down there as a business meet, as a business trip and met with the clubs that I needed to meet with and 
Um, now I'm just waiting for the draft and whatever comes up in the near future. I know I got to go to Wichita, um, this coming week to, for the Buster Posey award finalist. Buster Posey. Isn't that apropos that Buster Posey comes up in this conversation? And I, hey, Kevin, I didn't even bring it up because the last time you were on the show, I believe I brought up Buster Posey and just, and just I'm making connections. I'm not saying I have no idea where you're going to get drafted, but I do know what you'd look good in, my man. I know that black and orange has got your name written all over it, but that's just me. I, I want to go back, though, to the process that you just just talked about without naming names what was the strangest question that was asked of you at the ceremony at that process i'd say the strangest question um it wasn't to me but but people were telling me was if you were a butterfly what type of butterfly would you be Get out of here! No, what, what is that? Yeah. What is what does Come that on. have to do with baseball? Can you figure that one out? <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't tell you honestly. I, I think it's just one of those those questions that they just want to see how you go with it. But so, I mean, the only right. the only butterfly I know is a monarch butterfly. So right. I couldn't even tell you any other ones. <laughs> Right. Well, maybe that's maybe that's the go. correct answer to the question. I mean, but that I figured there had to be some goofy, stupid, off the wall question. That, you know, you get those. You hear it with football drafts and all that stuff, and combines and all that. I figured you got at least one of those coming your way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other one was, how do you store your peanut butter? Do you put it in the fridge? Do you put it in a cupboard? Uh, I put I put it in the cupboard just because. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you do. That's because that, that's, that's the correct that's, answer. Now you're at home right now, right? Correct. This is home. Mm-hmm. Uh, your yeah. kitchen is spotless. So uh, it's nine forty-five a.m. on the East Coast. It's six forty-five where you are. Uh, what are we doing for breakfast? Because I'm, I'm just looking at that perfect kitchen, man. It looks like it needs it needs some pancake batter. It needs something going on there. So what are we doing for breakfast? You know, I'm not really sure. Uh, usually I just fix myself up a bowl of cereal, but I'm kind of feeling a Lucky Boy breakfast burrito, which if you're from the oh. West Coast and you've been to Pasadena, you would know what it is, but... Yeah, it's all right. Pretty all right. Now wait a minute. Now I'm not leaving. You can't leave me hanging on that. What is the Lucky Boy burrito? If you and I are going out to grab a little breakfast, what's in the Lucky Boy burrito? It's just bacon, hash browns. You can have sausage, um, eggs, pretty much anything you can think of a basic burrito, but. For some reason, they just find a way to make it better, and they have a salsa that goes with it, which is pretty awesome. Oof. Look for that, right? Oof. Yep. Two of them. Uh, good luck to Kevin Parada. He's going to be fun to watch at the next level. Three of them. Okay, we'll do three. Got dogs. Uh, you know. Yeah, we get one for... Yeah, we do. That's right. All right. Uh, Power Hour coming up, full of uh, information and entertainment. Because Brian Ives makes his triumphant return to this program, plus coastal predictions and the NBA draft and more. All coming up, fast 60 minutes to wrap the week up on Packer and Durham. 
Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371 and streaming on the ESPN app.